podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Whistleblowers. After a weekend that saw Arsenal drop crucial points, Man City take pity on Leicester, the top four race get blown wide open and Spurs outspurs themselves, we're here to deal with all the fallout. It's me, Mark Smith, alongside Gareth Dobson. Gareth! Thanks for being here again. I promise we'll depress you by talking about your Spurs team later on. But in the meantime, let's throw you some red meat and start with Arsenal. How big a deal is that result for Arsenal at West Ham? And, crucially, dare we use the word bottle? Gareth, hello. Hi. Uh, It was really weird watching a team on Saturday be really Spursy and then watch a team on Sunday being really Spursy. It felt quite deja vu. (laughs) I. I was really surprised. I, I didn't think that West Ham were a stumbling block, especially after the you know, the brilliant, brilliant Liverpool game where you know I don't think you would say really that... I know they threw away a two goalies in that game as well, but it didn't feel like they wobbled so much as Liverpool broad. Um, yes. But West Ham, I mean, it's one of the more unlikely results of the season. And the fact that as they ended the game, it was West Ham who were more like looked more likely to win than Arsenal. It's it's worrying, you know. It's the easiest thing is to suggest that a cross between nerves and the rigors of the season are catching up with them. But um, you know, it's it's now officially in Man City's hands. It is theirs to lose, is which it? I didn't. Is think it still? We were... I don't think it is. It's it's still Arsenal. Arsenal is still. They, I think would at least have to believe in themselves that they are in control of their own destiny, given that they are still ahead on points. And yes, they go to Man City, but not losing that game would then put them back in the, the driver's seat, I think. Okay, well, I, that's fair. It's it's actually in both their hands, because... <laughs> Most uh, shared trophy if, this year. If City... Exactly. If, if City fail to... Uh, if City do not lose to Arsenal, win their game in hands, and then match... Arsenal's results for the season, it's Man City's title and goal difference. Yes. Yeah, that's um, fine. Arsenal obviously will say all we need to do is beat City and uh, and we're good to go. So, I mean, you know, betting favourites will be Manchester City. I mean, do you think any different? No, absolutely not. I thought Man City would win it for the last few weeks. You raise a good point with reference to the, uh, the Liverpool result last week because that two-all did feel different. And also... It's Anfield when Anfield is going mental. It's a very difficult place to go at, at any point. But when the crowd are like that, it it does feel like that whole cliche of a 12th man compared to West Ham, where the, the closest fan to the pitch at West Ham is about 35 metres away. It's not a cauldron, is it? It just feels it, like this is a far more this is a far more destructive result. And like you say, performance in that last 20 minutes. Uh I worry what it, this does to uh Saka. Because obviously psychologically that would have brought up a lot of a lot of emotions from eighteen months or so ago, two years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and you know, if Arsenal don't win the league, then horrible people on Twitter, social media, and probably in newspapers will talk about that penalty miss for a long, long time. And he's probably been their best player this season, and it would be a real disappointment if that is the the sort of lingering memory of this season, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. As well as being Arsenal's best player, he's probably the, the, the most beloved player at the club. And he's probably all, all... It feels like he's approaching national treasure status Oh, I love him. You know? I it's, love him. Why, why, is it, why is it that these, these terrible things happen to the best of us? 
It doesn't yeah. seem fair. Unless it's, of course, to test him and to uh, ensure that he comes back uh, bigger and better than ever, which I have slightly mixed feelings about as a as a Spurs fan. But he's, you know, he's such a brilliant player. And, you know, he's still one of the younger players, youngest players in the team. So for him to, yeah, yeah. you know, assume that responsibility, you know, speaks to a lot. Um, you know, it's, he, hopefully he just takes a leaf out of the, uh, you know, out the book of his uh, his England colleague Marcus Rashford, and and sees how you can you can grow from such things. And, and yeah, and I don't season. have I don't I have no doubts about Saka. This is it's a penalty miss. Salah missed one last week. Good players miss penalties. It's not it's not the end of the world. Uh, but it will feel like that if they don't win the league. Uh, like Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank said in uh, the punditry after that game that West Ham weren't actually that good, and I sort of agree with him. They didn't have to play that well to get a result there. And Mikel Antonio could have won it for them at the end. That would be the biggest worry for me if I was an Arsenal fan, is that they were going kind to of be playing some teams in the next couple of weeks that are objectively better sides than West Ham. And my worry is that they actually won't lose the league at Man City. They'll they'll lose it by dropping points elsewhere. They've got Brighton at home at some point. They've got Newcastle to come. These are difficult, difficult games. And I I don't know. I feel like it's the, the momentum has definitely shifted. And on the other side of things, Man City just seem to be swatting teams away like it's just not an issue at all. Yeah, this is, um, you know, perhaps the bit where, you know, experts will say, well, Man City have, have, have been grinding out league finishes like this for five, six years under Guardiola. Mm. Um, they know what to do. This is the business end of the season and all the other cliches. But, it, you know, we've seen so many times where a relatively unlikely team comes in and in the final third they they wobble because mm -hmm. clearly it involves a different approach a different mentality you know refreshing yourself from game to game and when things are going well with Arsenal do seem like a confidence team when things are going well they're 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 pretty unstoppable they're pretty magnificent but you know they do seem open to a wobble like in games not just not just like, you know, across the season, it just feels that, um, you know, we talked about this the other week, until they score that first goal, the crowd is on tenterhooks. It's, there isn't maybe that belief that this, you know, yet that this is Arsenal, this is what we do. We we turn teams over. It looked like it was getting there. And obviously at the exact moment where it looked like it was getting there, it's uh, it's come away a bit. So Well, this is it. They've, they've, think, sco they've scored you know, first goals. They've scored the first two goals in games in the last... 10 days and, and managed to drop four points. Yeah. So it's not even about that anymore. It's funny. I think a, a big problem for them has been uh, missing Saliba. I think since he's Saliba, Saliba, however you want to say it, he's been a big, big miss for them because, okay, right. Rob and, Holding's and, fine, but he's not he's not on that level, is he? No, and, and, and Tierney coming in this week, I, I, I don't know if that was a net positive. Zinchenko is, you know, even though he's, you know, was is he in mid twenties? He's a very experienced player, and yeah. part of the reason why he was brought in was because he brought that degree of know how. He had won trophies, and you know, as well as being technically an excellent player. So, and 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 Tierney is not is not that player. So, no. I think it's you know Arsenal squad. You know, we praise them for being able to chop and change up front, and 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 it not affect them too much. But seemingly, maybe at the back, it's a slightly more precarious thing. Yeah, definitely. Very thin in numbers at the back, I think. Um, let's talk about Man City then. We've done Arsenal. Uh, in fact, let's let's one final thing with Arsenal. Um, I mentioned in the lead up to it the word bottle. I hate that word and I hate that concept. As a Spurs fan, you've heard it plenty of times over the years. 
I hate this idea that you either win a game and are brilliant or you lose it and are a bottler. There's plenty of room in between those two things. I don't think necessarily Arsenal are bottling anything. It's just these are games that are coming thick and fast. They're difficult games against, you know, largely very good opponents. The Liverpool one, I don't think you can call a bottling, however you want to define that. And even the West Ham one, I don't necessarily think it's a bottle, bottle job, bottling, whatever. I just hate this constant, everything's so extreme. You can't just lose of a course, game of football. Yeah. It's pathetic. It, context is, is very much a real thing because if Arsenal were, let's say they were fourth or fifth and pushing for Champions League and, and West Ham got a draw, it would simply be like, well, that's the Premier League. It's, you know, topsy-turvy, you can't back anything. But because the stakes in this case are higher, yeah. it's it has to be someone's fault. It has to be Arsenal's fault. It's like, why can't Arsenal do this? And it's, uh, yeah, it, it's obviously a very sensationalist thing. If But if Arsenal had scored in the 95th minute, Redemption, the chosen team, name on the trophy. We we love yeah. it. This is this is what we live for. Do we love it? I don't know. Who cares? Yeah. Let's move on to Man City this time. Let's stay on Man City this time, shall we? Because I don't want to stand it too long, actually, because the, the game against Leicester felt like <laughs> City played football for the first half and then just decided not to for the second half. They could have won that game seven or eight nil. And in the end, actually, Leicester scored one, could have scored a couple more. I mean, they they had a higher XG than Man City by the end of it. Yeah, um, Man City, if you're going to point out one small chink in their armors, they have not kept many clean sheets recently. Um, I don't think they've kept one for a good four or five games at least. So there is a world where you know that if you can somehow you know, stop them from scoring or make it really tight, there will always be an opportunity to score. So I, you know, that's what Arsenal are going to be looking at um, going into the game in, uh, it's, it's, it's in 10 days' time, I think, middle of next week. So mm-hmm. that's got to be. Got to be the player. I mean, they're, they're flat track bullies. Unfortunately, the flat track is teams 20 through seven, you know, 22 through two or three in the league. It's, yeah. it's, they, everyone's they flat. Pummel everyone, to everyone's City. flat. Everyone's, they pummel everyone who's worse than them. And unfortunately, most teams are. It, it's every single team in world football. It's, it, it's one of those things where it's impressive, but it's not very exciting. Well, here's the thing. I'm I'm sure we've talked about this before. You won't agree with me on this, obviously, because you're a Spurs fan. But I think that there's a lot of neutrals. Maybe that doesn't make sense. There's a lot of football fans who who would prefer Man City to win the league. Despite being, you know, a sports-washing project for an oil state that have no morals, that are still engaged in slavery, still this and that and this and that. I think a lot of football fans would still rather City won it. And I think it comes down to the fact that there's no emotional connection to Man City from people. People have a connection to Arsenal. First of all, they might know a lot of Arsenal fans, and that's a nightmare on its own. But Arsenal have been a big club for so long that, you know, you might well dislike them for some reasons, you might love them for others. There's some sort of emotional grounding to that football club in a way that there just isn't with Man City. If Arsenal win the league, their fans will be a nightmare. They'll be un- insufferable. They'll be unbearable, and rightly so. If Man City win the league, they don't have any fans. Nobody knows any Man City fans. So it doesn't true. matter. And and I think um, that there's there's a real truth to to the fact that Man City isn't a real football club. It's I don't have a lot of respect for somebody who's got a beautiful house and a big car and goes and got nice holidays and can look after everything financially if they've won the Euro millions. I don't care about that. And that's what Man City have done. So who cares? 
it's a hot take it's an incredibly hot take and i like it and i i don't think you're wrong it's there when you support a london team you find that there's a lot of other teams you dislike because there's a lot of relatively successful yeah. london teams and yeah you almost pick one of the teams above birmingham it's like okay they're the ones who i don't mind winning and yeah, see cool. kind of that one you know it's um Liverpool have too much history for me. There's too much weight around it. There's too much, you know, the fan base is, it's almost deified for what mm-hmm. they are. When, I'm fairly sure most fans are as ardent as Liverpool fan, but um, that's another story. But it's, yeah, silly. you're like, it's fine. It, it's kind of like watching a machine. You're like, well, it's a machine. It's just what it does. Yeah, and, um, and it's all going to be asterisks anyway soon, once the Premier League get hold of them, hopefully. So it's not going to matter. Course. Nothing matters. I, we'll all be dead soon. So who? So I. While you're talking about it, it made me think of. Um, so in Italy, for example, it feels like it's very much anyone but Juventus. I, I feel like mm-hmm. Juventus are the most universally hated team in that league. Um, so well, there's who, lots of reasons for that. Even even like recently, there's lots of reasons for that, right? Yeah, as well as sporting um, excellence, there there appears to be some administrative excellence as well. Like they are. They're, they're very good at bending the rules and yeah. taking things as far as they can. And oh, they occasionally... don't bend them. They, they snap the rules into bits. <laughs> smash them up. See a rule, And then they take the, the pieces back together. Yeah. Tape the pieces back together and claim it was never broken in the first place. Yeah, I respect um, that. So who do you think are the uh, would be the Juventus? I guess it was United, Man United, for a very long time in the 90s. I think it probably still is. I feel, I feel like there's been a generation or two or three generations of football fans that had their childhood ruined by that Ferguson team. And mm. I think that that sort of <laughs> carries a lot of sort of hereditary trauma. Uh, so I think it might take a little while for it to not be united because there's not really been another team that's had that sort of period of dominance, really. I mean, Man City are having it now. But like I say, it, it's fantasy football. It doesn't matter. It's uh, It doesn't really feel the same way. And I mean, yes, United spent an awful lot of money and, and, and dominated the league in a similar way. But it was money that was from football and it was money that was from... You know, they, they happen to luck out by winning the Premier League at the very start and getting all that sky money and sort of bankrolling that and snowballing it to a point where they could afford to break it's the transfer transfer thing. Yeah, exactly. And it just that was timing and then just all of excellence. Whereas here is you've you've got unlimited money, um, and they've run it perfectly. They've they've brought in the best people in all positions, the best people behind the scenes, the best manager, all these things. So there's no doubt they're an unbelievable club, an unbelievable team, but I just don't, I can't, I can't hook anything into it and feel anything about that club. Um, so essentially, like like Ivan Drago, where as well as being a phenomenal boxer and a mm. peak condition athlete, he then got put in the middle of a Russian superpower training regime yep. to just take what was already brilliant into another yep. level. Exactly that. I was going to say that, and you you cut you cut yeah. into me. Um, Having said that, right. Ivan Drago and Erling Haaland. Never seen yeah. the same place, do you? Well, no, one's a fictional character and one right. is a boxer from Rocky. All right, let's uh, have a little break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the top four race and we'll talk about a team that we both, I think, think are going to go down. See you in a minute. Welcome back to the Whistleblowers. Gareth, the top four race has been blown up into smithereens thanks to the incompetence of both your side, Spurs, um, and strangely, Newcastle, for the first time in a while, they just didn't really seem up to it. Let's start with them. They lost 3-0 at Aston Villa. Really uncharacteristic display from Newcastle. Uh, they looked 
leggy. They looked, I mean, two or three yards off the pace compared to a outstanding Villa performance. I, 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 we are very much in credit where credit's due uh, territory here, I'm afraid, yes. where you probably have to wax lyrical about how good Aston Villa oh, have been. Oh, we will. We will. Whisper it. Whisper it. Champions League outsiders, Aston Villa. Well, I was going to ask you this. At six points off fourth. Yeah, I was going to ask you this. Are they, are they, are they a legit contender? No. Well, then, why bring it up? No. <laughs> if... If uh, the season had started four games earlier and uh, Unai Emery had been in place a bit longer, absolutely, why not? But it, I, they're going to run out of games. Um, it yes. will be... I suspect the top four race will be a three-way competition still between Newcastle, Manchester United and Spurs, which Manchester United win. Um, hilariously, Spurs can take the initiative by... Uh, going to Newcastle, beating them, and then uh, hosting Manchester United and beating them, and yep. then they'll uh, they'll be sitting pretty. And assuming that that happens, which I have no doubt it will, um, it'll be Spurs to lose. But if that doesn't happen, yeah. if. then I think United have probably the best chance. The yes. major factor for them is they retain uh, places in free competitions. Um, yeah. But I wonder, I mean, that's a fascinating you know, question. Like, what's more important for them at this point? There were another two trophies, cup trophies. They, they could win. They could do the, the Liverpool treble. Yeah. Um, which is, as we know, is, is, is the most crude about treble in, in the last 25 years. The most um, important piece of trophy winning in the history. The most sport. important trophy win ever. Um, or they could get a pat on the back and finish fourth in the league. It's well, I, I think, I, I I think for them to know what their thinking is. Yeah, I, I think for them, um, they've basically they've basically done better than most people thought they would this season. If they finish top four now with the trophy under their belt as well, I think that's a good season, a really good season. I don't think any of us would have probably predicted that, certainly after the first two games of Ten Hag's reign. Um, I think they're strong, strong favorites to finish top four. For me, the worry would be for Newcastle that I just hadn't seen them play. I hadn't seen Newcastle play like that this season. No. Yes, it's... Aston Villa were excellent and they were excellent all across. All, every single player was fantastic on Saturday. and Especially in those early kickoffs on Saturdays, I always feel like they, they can be quite lethargic. They were excellent. Ollie Watkins, you know, if you listen to this podcast, I'm sure you listen to several other podcasts and read everything about everything football related. And You've probably already made your mind up on Ollie Watkins, but he was phenomenal, like phenomenal on Saturday. And I thought for the first time in a long time that England have got real good depth in those striking positions. Obviously, Harry Kane. But after that, I think Ivan Tony's brilliant. Ollie Watkins should be in the squad. Even Callum Wilson, who, who came on for a bit in that game and wasn't able to get much going. But that seems a lot stronger in terms of squad depth for England. But Watkins should be, he should be in that conversation, no doubt. Um... And all of this, by the way, is done without Coutinho, who seems to have been completely forgotten now because Buendia is playing so well. And they're just sort of ticking over. They're getting better every week. I think that was the best I've seen Villa for years, years on Saturday. And Newcastle just couldn't couldn't match up. So with I've got... Um, yeah, I, I have a, a, a Villa supporting friend and he essentially said, you know, this is easily the best stretch to football or stretch of playing games of football. He's he's seen them in 10 years, or he may have even yeah. said his life. Um, wow. But That's a big I how old is he? 10? 
<laughs> he's a but you know he would have seen some of those 90s teams where they were a very fun quite yeah. a you know good team to watch but i think you know it's probably the most exciting it's been to be a bit of a fan since they were pushing for premier league titles in the it early 90s um, it must be i think they had, they had they had some nice they had some nice moments with you know even when agbon lahore was playing there's some good results and and good seasons um Dwight York years late was it late nineties mid to late nineties was pretty good and then before that yeah you're looking at Ron Atkinson's villa bit 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 Stan Collymore in there don't forget um, yeah of course, I think yeah. that um, I think that possibly the difference is they have got good players but they've got a manager who you know clearly on form is is the the match for for most that he comes up against he reminds me of those medical dramas or tv shows where Go on. they can't figure out what's wrong they can't figure out what's wrong and he just mm. turns up his clipboard takes one look and he's like did you check the eyes you said there's a great effects well clearly it's this really rare disease that no one's having they're like genius and mm. he fix it straight away i think as in he's a, do it, clearly one of his gifts is analyzing other teams working out exactly what you need to do against them and then getting his team to do it. It's a two-part thing. It's not just, I'm sure a lot of managers can tactically break down another team on the videotape, on the on the, on the whiteboard, right. but actually getting your team to do that and do this consistently. You know, it's not, they've not, we're talking about the flat track bullies of, of Man City. They have punched above their weight until they have now entered the same weight class as some of these teams they've beat. Yeah, yeah. yeah when they beat Spurs, I think it was one of the, around Christmas, it was one of the first games back after the World Cup, and it was like, well, well you know, Spurs don't usually lose to that sort of team. Uh, it turns out that that was more just a harbinger for what was to come, and and, and Villa were, were clearly, um, you know, they're equal in every respect. Yeah, definitely. I think Villa are, I mean, they're only three points off Spurs. I, I don't think, I'm with you, I don't think they can actually push on and get top four this season, um, and I don't think it'll happen next season as well, because I think it's going to be harder next season, but I think there's certainly a shout for them in Europe you know, whichever guys that's taken in, I think they've got a good shot. Uh, Newcastle, I think, are, I think Newcastle have got a, if they can just get back to where they were a week ago, this is a blip. It's one of those things. It's it's 3-0. That looks like a hammering. It was on the day, but it happens. Good teams can play really well and beat other good teams comfortably. It can happen. Um, should we do it now or later, Spurs? I mean, I can see you chomping at the bit. Um, well, I, I just want to say with Newcastle, they have oh. a very reasonable run in. Um, you would, you'd probably expect them. Well, you would expect them to beat Spurs on this form, especially at St James's Park. And then they've got teams like Southampton and mm. Leeds and so forth. Arsenal is obviously a big game, but right now you'd probably say that's a very tight game going into it. And they can probably um, afford to lose it actually, anyway. Yeah. So I, I, I. I it's going to be exciting and nip and tuck. I, I think Newcastle, if they can shake this off. My, my one worry about Newcastle is whether getting into Champions League means more to them of the three clubs and whether that in itself creates this level of, you know, it means a bit too much. Like every victory mm. for the last few weeks, they've been celebrating like it's a major, major triumph. And obviously, you know, for them, you know, every three points and they pulled a few out late and, They've had to overcome a bit of. Do you think it takes a toll that sort of? Uh, I think so. It's yeah, like the way we're talking about Arsenal. It's like you know, every game feels huge in that run in, and now I think for Newcastle, this is you know making a Champions League is like their title yeah, run in, and I, I wonder whether that's they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves. 
Okay, well, you, you've uh, deflected long enough. We'll do Spurs now. Um, that was very funny for anyone that isn't a Spurs fan. Um, but incredibly demoralizing, I think. I, I, I don't understand what this season is, what the point of it has been, why Stellini's there, why Levy's... I don't understand why... why, why I look at that team and I, I don't understand if they are being coached at all. But I also look at that team and I think, actually, you go from 1 to 11 on, on those players and they're probably punching above their weight in terms of league position. I don't think there's enough good players in there. I don't know how many players in that starting 11 from Saturday get into teams around them. You know, obviously Harry Kane. But apart from that, I'm not seeing much there, Gareth. What are your thoughts? It's... Yeah, you know, a confession of a lot of good players running into terrible form. Um, I think the players have pretty much quit on believing the season's worth fighting for. Um, It's tactically is my biggest issue. Um, You know, a three-four-three is all well and good when everything is brilliant and running perfectly, but Spurs every game find themselves being overrun in midfield. yeah, you know, they asked Koiberg and at the moment it's, it's Skip because Benton Kerr's been lost for the season. And, yeah. um, you know, it's the same with uh, the player we signed from Brighton, whose name escapes me because I have barely seen him play football. Basuma. Uh, Eve, Eve Basuma, indeed, who everyone had very high hopes for. And it's it feels the whole thing that they jam the players into the formation and they have refused to change the formation when it was quite clear that it wasn't working. They don't have good good enough centre-back. So I don't believe that when your centre-backs aren't good enough, why would you put an extra one who's going to be worse out there? Um, it's it's bizarre. And the, you know, the, the cry, if you're going to get rid of Conte or Conte is going to get rid of you and you've got eight games to, to, you know, do something, why would you keep continuity? Continuity is the worst that's, situation. That's your enemy. Continuity does. is the enemy. Yeah. And Stellini has kept the formation. He's kept the tactics. Um, it's one of two things. The Levy either thought that the issue was Conte, and without Conte, it would be a better dressing room, better training ground, and the players would do better. Or he hasn't got because he was the one who made the Conte appointment. He's the one. He he went above our head of football to bring him in, mm. and you know, getting rid of. Levy was hard and getting rid of Conte was hard enough for him but then to blow the whole thing up is clearly something he's just not prepared to do and I mean can you imagine now if they decided ahead of the Newcastle game this weekend to get rid of Stellini and to appoint Ryan Mason so that's beyond their third manager in four weeks it's yeah, I, I, can imagine even, it. I can imagine that very easily I know this is the issue I can in some ways I can imagine it but I can imagine Daniel Levy sitting in his his gold-plated uh uh, office going I'll look like an idiot I can't do it I just need to see the season out and then we'll just yeah. move on I think there's the, the you know the time the time for proper change happened and it's passed without proper change and now Spurs just have to limp on towards the end of the year it feels like yesterday when the debate was should they get rid of Poch or should they churn the squad and give Poch new players hmm and at the time, we were saying, well, you give Poch some players because the squad would need churning anyway, whatever. And now we're in a situation where, like you say, you could be on a third manager in four weeks. And most fans are desperate for Poch to come back. 
And you've still got half the same team that Poch... I mean, it's just one of the worst-run clubs in, in the country, I think. I mean, there's some pretty big competition for that title. But I think Spurs currently are up there. And yet, despite that, Gareth, despite that, they are three points off Champions League. How the fucking hell has that happened? Uh, the, the, the level of mediocrity in the Premier League is is pronounced this year, I think. That's what it comes down to. There's, you know, there's two or three good teams. There's a middle pack, and then everyone else is pretty bad. And, well, I don't and agree with you there. I think that actually the Go. the base level is very, very high. I think, for example, we'll talk about the relegation race. Okay. Um, not the race, but the, they're not racing for relegation. They're trying to avoid relegation. But the the drop at the minute, the I think the, the quality of teams down there is very, very high. I just think that the top teams are excellent. I think Man City, for example, are excellent. And Arsenal, I think, are excellent. And apart from that, there's then just some relatively good teams rather than there being five or six but, huge but very teams doing well. Teams, teams yes, who yes, definitely. put together, you know, three or four wins in a row. And even if they do, they then make sure they lose the next two. But going back to your saying about Spurs with an incredibly badly run team, I in some ways they're badly run, in other ways they're better run than other teams. It, what I think you could characterize it as one of the greatest missed opportunities in, in Premier League history. You know, where you know, sliding doors, you could have made one or two different decisions and it could have been a different story. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe you keep Pochettino and, you know, he was asking for players to be moved on who, you know, were eventually moved on, like Deli Ali and, and 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 similar. But, yeah, and arguably they sold the wrong players. Should they have ever sold Carl Walker? Um, should they have, you know, should they have reinforced the midfield? Of course they should have. But it's, yeah, for, for a team that has been a consistently achieving top four or five team um it still feels like they have left an insane amount of meat on the bone yeah yeah definitely uh right let's uh let's wrap up um by talking about the relegation zone and those teams fighting their way through it at the bottom there because we've been talking for a few weeks about um the fact that it is competitive down there it looks like southampton are gone i think you probably agree with me on that I feel like we've got another team that might be joining them now, Gareth. It's becoming a bit more clear, this picture now, because Nottingham Forest have been struggling, really struggling of late. They've lost the last four... Uh, they lost, Sorry, they lost four of the last five. Um, most recently was at home to Man United on Sunday, where they basically looked completely toothless um, against a uh, sort of makeshift back four. They really put no pressure on at all. Their running is very, very difficult. They don't seem to have been able to maintain that that sort of couple of weeks they had you know, a few months ago where they were sort of picking up points, scoring a few goals at home. That seems to have left them. The city ground didn't sound as loud as it normally does on Sunday. And every single time Steve Cooper leaves the pitch, I think, and I think a lot of Forest fans think, this could be the end. He's a beloved manager. He's an excellent manager. What more could Marinakis want from his manager? And does it help? to be giving him ultimatums like he did a couple of weeks ago. No, it's it it's a strange one. They're probably the team that have been the most up and down. I, I think they were buried fairly early into the season. And like you said, they suddenly looked like they'd found their way and they started doing well you know, despite the ridiculous number of players they brought. But I think it, you know, it does feel like the classic example of, you know, an owner has essentially bombed out his team season. 
um, for a lot of bad decisions. But maybe some of the players they've signed have actually been fine. They, Felipe, I, I think, think has so, actually yeah. been a good acquisition. But yeah, you know, it's beginning to look a bit like that Fulham year a few years ago where they just yeah. brought in entire new squad and you just couldn't gel them together but, but in, in their defense i'm a derby fan but in their defense they had very very few contracted players they, they did need to bulk up the numbers yes. but it still looks mental to say oh we signed 33 players in the season like like you say some of them are good players no doubt but it's very hard to get any group of players playing together in a league as competitive as this of course and it's you know it's I hate when people say they came up too early. It's like, well, you came up if you were good enough. And you know, do you want to come up or not? Yeah, do you want to go? Actually, you know what? We'll stay here. We're just not ready, guys. Um, but yeah. I think that it does seem like a club who's just not been able to come in on a sure footing and, and they're going to pay the penalty. And it's odd. I, I don't know. You know, I think West Ham felt like they were sleepwalking towards relegation. And then suddenly you, know, you realize they've only lost one of their last five league games. They've won two drawn two. Um, well, let, let me read out Forrest's uh, run of fixtures and you just uh, answer each one with a win, draw or lose, OK? Uh, Forrest, go to Liverpool away. Lose. Brighton at home. Lose. Brentford away. Draw. Southampton at home. Uh, a terrible draw. <laughs> Chelsea away. Uh, win. <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal at home. Lose. Palace away. Lose. Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> it's a difficult run. Yeah, I mean they, they they could well they could well finish the season under thirty points, and that's not going to do anything. You've got to look at that Southampton game and think they absolutely have to win that. But by that point, it could be too late. I mean, oh, it's difficult. I I do have sympathy with Forest, Stephen. I'm a Derby fan, as I say. I've got a lot of friends who are Forest fans. It's not nice to be down there, but at the same time, reasonably funny. All right, that's all we got time for. Gareth, we'll be back with more whistleblowers, same time, same place, next week. Anything to plug, Gareth, before we go? Uh, it's Record Store Day this weekend. That's where lots of artists release exclusive vinyl editions of uh, music, and you go to your local independent record store and buy wonderful artefacts, and there's usually lots of fun events happening at these things, so you should go and pick up Snapped Ankles EP, but also just go and uh, enjoy some music and some record shops. You heard it here first. Record shop day. Record store day. Oh, fuck. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. See you later. Sports Social Podcast Network.